Freedom is used as its decoy. However, once unearthed, America's first love is the everlasting white supremacy, America's inseparable. Welcome to Things Just Got Spicy, the all-inclusive political poetry podcast on Allegheny College's campus in Meadville, Pennsylvania. Every other week, we will discuss current and ongoing political, social, and economic issues. Each hot topic will be followed by a poem, written and performed by the week's special guest. My name is Binti Fofana, and I am your host. In honor of Election Day, our hot topic this week is voting rights and discrimination. When the Constitution of the United States was written, it did not include who had the right to vote. It was left up to states to determine who was eligible. States limited voting to white men who owned land. Some states utilized religious tests to ensure only Christian men could vote. It wasn't until 1870 when the 15th Amendment ensured that citizens could not be denied the right to vote on the account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. However, this did not include Native Americans. At the time, Native Americans were not recognized as American citizens. It wasn't until the Snyder Act of 1924 that gave Native Americans the right to vote. Fast forward a few decades later to the 1920s, the 19th Amendment ensured that citizens could not be denied the right to vote on the account of sex. Although the 15th and 19th Amendments expanded the group of eligible voters, factors such as Jim Crow laws prevented minority groups from voting. From 1877 to 1964, Jim Crow laws were a collection of state and local statutes that legalized racial segregation. These laws eventually increased voting barriers. When literacy tests, poll taxes, and grandfather clauses didn't suppress black voter turnout, white legislators in several southern states used all-white primaries to decrease black voter turnout. After nearly a century of voter discrimination, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 outlawed discriminatory voting practices that were adopted in southern states. This was followed by the ratification of the 24th and the 26th Amendment. The 24th Amendment prohibited states from implementing a poll tax or other types of taxes for federal elections. The 26th Amendment changed the voting age from 21 to 18. Later in 2013, the Shelby County v. Holder Supreme Court case led to the decision that Section 4B of the Voting Rights Act was unconstitutional. Section 4B determined which jurisdictions were covered by Section 5, and Section 5 required certain jurisdictions with a history of discrimination to submit any proposed changes in voting procedures to the United States Department of Justice or a federal district court in Washington, D.C. This Supreme Court decision led to new waves of state laws enacting voter ID requirements and restrictions on mail-in ballots. Even with so many milestones, the fight for voting rights continues to be a long and difficult battle. And our special guest this week to discuss this hot topic with us is India McCruder. India, pronouns she, her, is a sophomore at Allegheny College, majoring in political science and minoring in philosophy. She is from Columbus, Ohio, specifically the West Side. Even though she considers herself to be from Columbus, she wants to clarify that she grew up in the suburbs. India believes it is a very important distinction because where you are from and how you grow up influences how you perceive things in life and how you migrate throughout the world. 
India is also a member of the varsity volleyball team at Allegheny College. She is a Voting Rights Everywhere ambassador with the Andrew Goodman Foundation and a Democracy Fellow with the Campus Vote Project. Please give a warm welcome to India. India, before you perform your poem, please give us insight into the thought process that went into writing this poem. So my poem is called An Ode to America's First Love, and I think it's important to understand who I am as a person, which I'm a Black young lady. And I think growing up, I'm only about to be 20 years old. I haven't seen much of the world, but what I've seen is I definitely experienced what America's first love is. And in my eyes, it has to be white supremacy in this sense, because I've just seen things, even though I've only lived a short life so far, I've seen things that kind of point to privileges that others have that I haven't had in my life. Or even if I've had, like, have had those privileges, it hasn't been given to other peers of mine because of America's first love. So I just thought of what America seems to latch onto after all these years of growing and building and protesting, but it still latches onto this idea of white supremacy. And it was something I had to just keep coming back to when I was writing this poem, because I think it's a big part of our culture today. And a lot of the issues we see in our government and our voting and just our culture in, in general is just white supremacy. It just comes back to that and just the uplifting of like the white supremacist ideology and like if you don't fit that or like subscribe to that mold, it's kind of hard to survive in America. An ode to America's first love. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Declaration of Independence. America's first love is one that dates back to its birth. This love is unmatched and its strength is unmeasurable. Freedom is used as its decoy. However, once unearthed, America's first love is the everlasting white supremacy, America's inseparable. In America, I have learned we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are not created equal, as long as white supremacy remains America's first love. Under this grotesque love affair, my voice is irrelevant. Only those who subscribe to the oppression of the marginalized have their voice lifted above. There is no pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, as long as we live under America's symbiotic love affair with white supremacy. Our voices remain silenced by America's worry of law and order madness. Our fear of the pole has become our people's identity. Again, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal unless you're trying to speak out against the white supremacist imprisonment. Could you explain how America's first love continues to affect minority voters? When I think of this, I think of like multiple ways. Like white supremacy is around us in so many different aspects. It almost becomes like an invisible poison that we're breathing in and we don't realize it. That's slowly killing us and our like people and our voices slowly. Um, specifically like minority voters, when we think of voting, the access we get to it, and it's not, I'm just going to talk about me personally, like in certain households, it's not talking about, like talked about like who are you voting for or how important voting is. It seems like that happens more in white households and how it's important, how your voices should be amplified, but I've never seen it spoken about a lot and like I'm African-American, so in black culture about how important your voice is. If anything, it's 
you get talked about like when you're sitting down at the table about how to protect yourselves against the police or what you should or shouldn't say not oh this is how you should amplify your voice or let's learn about what the issues are going on around our community when we're sitting down when we're learning like being parent like taught through our parents it's like survival skills never how to express our opinions or express our views because really in America white supremacy has always been around us and which is leading to many young like African Americans, people of color, minorities getting killed today, leading us to think more about our survival than how to make our country better because we're thinking in the survival set of ideals and viewpoints leading us to kind of just put voting and participating in our government as the back burner. And to elaborate, I think back to the Jim Crow era where trying to stop black people and people of color but like I think specifically to me like black people to like not vote like black people would go up to register and they had to take these literary exams that were impossible to pass for anyone or they were like not allowed to and it was more overt and that was white supremacy in that day and age however people might try to argue that oh it's not here today but I think that's not true at all um, I just think white supremacy has a weird way of trans, not even a weird way, it's just how it was built. It's almost immortal in that sense. It just transforms through ideologies. And so even though it's not I, overtly, black people can still go register to vote. It's the question of access and the importance placed on voting within the black community. And even though black people are increasingly voting, it's not as much as should be because there's this, this weird ideology, not weird because it actually roots to white supremacy that our vote doesn't matter, our vote doesn't count. So many times I hear people in my family or my friends say, why should I vote? The system's corrupt already. Or, oh, it won't count my vote. Or what will it do? When you hear that, it automatically just sends alarm bells. It's a white supremacist thought. The people fighting in the 50s for their right to vote definitely didn't believe that their vote didn't matter. They knew their vote mattered, and that's why they were fighting so much for it. So once black people started getting their rights to vote, something like white supremacy along the way took this notion and planted it in many minorities and people of colors like mine that their vote isn't important or it's diluted in some sense, which leads them to not think their vote is important. Although white supremacy isn't as overt as before, it's still there silently in the background lurking in the minds of many like minorities and people of color, um, leading them to like not vote, which is very heartbreaking because if they just knew how hard white supremacy works to silence their voice, I think more people of color go out and vote because white supremacy is working harder to silence than I think we know because our voice is so powerful and it could really make great changes in America only if we would just get out and vote. Studies show that young people are more involved in politics than ever. Should we change the voting age to 16? Oh, I don't know how, like, this is just such a tough question, but when I think about it, I would, my initial response would probably be no, just for the sheer fact of the decision-making skill. Um, I think that's the front, if I remember psychology correctly, which I probably don't, but the frontal over your brain where you make decisions, that develops like early 20s, late, I think even 25 maybe, but like 16, I just don't think it's developed enough for 16-year-olds to be making like voting decisions in government. Not saying that all 16-year-olds are the have are the same or 
one isn't more knowledgeable than the other or more progressive like their brain. It's just overall, I just don't think it's the best idea for America's democracy. I think there's people who are probably much older than 16 who still, their decision-making skills aren't the best. So I think adding that subgroup would potentially be dangerous just because so many things are getting thrown at 16-year-olds, like they're getting their license. And as we can see, once they get their license, their crash rate is much higher because of their decision-making skills. So if we look at driving, just for an example, it just, to me, it points to the fact that maybe we should kind of hold off on moving into 16. 18 is more, I could see more, but 16 is just more of a struggle for me. Not, not 18, we can go to 18. I know I said that, but 16, I just, I don't think we should move to 16. I was thinking of alcohol. Respectfully, I disagree. I think that 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds should have the right to vote. Thinking back to when I was 16, I was a sophomore in high school taking AP classes, and I think people who were my age back then started getting involved into the political world. And during that time, Trump was running for office, so I think that also got a lot of people my age and my peers interested and involved in politics. I also think that 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds could add another demographic group that could potentially benefit the U.S. I think you bring up great points that, like, 16-year-olds, when the 2016 election was happening, they were very interested in government, um, especially with Trump. It brought about a new spark interest within our demographic, which I do think is important to point to and like to note. I just looking at all the things that are involved in voting and like what there's like taxes you have to think about. There's when a legislator brings up increasing a lev like passing a levy or not. I don't think a 16-year-old understands the weight of some of those things. Not that they can't, it's just there's so many things getting thrown at them. I think it is better to stagger it. Like 16, you're just getting your license. You're, as you mentioned, taking AP class, you're still in high school. And I think just at least pushing it back two more years is just better because it's giving it's giving the 16-year-old slowly more, um, I think, civic responsibility in a more responsible way. Not saying 16-year-olds couldn't handle it or couldn't pro understand it. It's just so many things are going on. And I'm still going to point to the decision-making skills. I just, I think back to when I was a 16-year-old, I still do think I had a decision-making, like, I still have the same views I did as a 16. I just didn't have the background of, like, I had more, I just, I knew certain thing I was like I don't agree with this but now I kind of have like this is why I don't agree with it I can point and draw more connections now I think decision making like it just brings up a change from 16 to 18. Should everyone be automatically registered to vote? Um I when I think of this I immediately say yes because in America they don't wait to tax you so I don't see why everyone shouldn't be ready to like vote as soon as they turn 18. It kind of gives off this vibe that America is creating this clique of people who are only interested or have a voice worth hearing that they should vote. Um, it kind of sends a message, especially to people of color or marginalized groups, that if only you feel your voice is important or feels like it should be echoed or advocated for, should you get, get out and register to vote. Uh, I don't see what's the harm in registering people right away. Uh, everyone's voice is important, but not doing so makes America seem as if they only value certain voters. And through many classes I've taken at Allegheny, I've learned that typically it's wealthier white middle class or middle or upper middle class people who tend to go and register to vote like they're the most likely to. So I feel like if America 
would change it and just automatically register everyone once they're 18. It would really change the demographics of and the turnouts of our elections. Actually, there is something wrong with two votes now because it's only representing a portion of our country. And if America would switch it and register everyone, I think the outcome of the elections would be more representative of who actually lives in this country. Because right now, who the leaders of our country and how our government is run, it's not a representative of the people who live here in America. And if we want things to change, I think everyone has to get out to vote. And I think the first step is allowing everyone, like allowing everyone to be registered as soon as they turn 18. So I think America needs to get a going on it and register everyone. Should immigrants have an opportunity to vote? This includes voting in local, state, and federal elections. My initial response would be yes, but I think it does come with a catch. It depends on how long the person like who isn't native to, not native to, but is an immigrant to America plans on staying here. I think their voice is just as important as mine or of another fellow American. It's just, I think there is a civic responsibility of if you're going to vote in an election, local, state, and federal, that your views, like what you're voting on, you're here to be affected by it because not that anyone wants to do harm onto others, but if you plan on staying in America for 10 plus years, I definitely do think you have a right to vote because this is going to be your home for 10 years. But if you're here just for a vacation, I don't think the right is necessarily needs to be granted to you. But other than that, if you're going to be living here and your life is going to be affected by our policies, I definitely think your vote, your voice and your vote is just as important as someone who's been there their whole life because you're getting affected by these policies just as much as someone who's been here their whole life. So when I think of this question, I think yes. It's only on rare occasions would I say no, which is you're going to be leaving in after a few weeks or months. As someone who is an immigrant, I think immigrants should have the right to vote, but only in local elections. I say this because wherever they live, they should have policies and laws that will represent, support, protect, and benefit them for however long they're staying in the U.S. I think that immigrants that have been in the U.S. for a while or those that plan to stay for a long time should vote in local, state, and federal elections. I really think it's a good point how you brought up uh, immigrants should only be allowed to vote in their local and state elections. I really wasn't thinking it through that forms of government is where the immigrants will be affected the most. But since you brought it up, it does kind of change my point of view on things because as though like federal, like federal elections are very important, but as we've learned through like courses and just growing up, like local and state elections affect you the most. So I think, especially being an immigrant, I think it's the best first step for immigrants to get like immersed into American politics. So I really like that point you brought up. And I agree with like the 10 plus years, then you should kind of just start getting into federal because at that point you're, you've been in America long enough. You kind of know like ins and you're starting to learn the ins and out if you're being active in local and state as you should doing your civic responsibilities. During your time working with the Andrew Goodman Foundation and the Democracy Fellowship, in your opinion, what is the biggest obstacle preventing college students from voting in local elections? Since the Andrew Goodman Foundation, if you know the background of it, it's actually named after Andrew Goodman, who was a freedom writer down, I believe, in Mississippi or Alabama, one of the southern states at the time, and who's fighting for the rights of young black voters and marginalized groups, and he got murdered trying to fight for these rights. And I think that speaks to what we're doing today. We really want to amplify the voices of the marginalized groups and people of color 
So I found I was very excited to do this work once we got started because I because I know how much our groups are silenced and don't have the opportunity to speak out. But one of the biggest things I found working with the Andrew Goodman Foundation is there is this sense of my voice isn't important or what is my one vote going to do to change anything. So changing, it's really easy to sit and talk to one person about it if they have the time. But as you know, college students are busy, so it's hard to change not even just one person, but this is a generational like ideology and culture that their vote vote doesn't matter. So it's sometimes hard to really take that ideology and be like, no, don't listen to this. Your vote does matter. Please go out and vote. It's hard to get that from ten minute conver- from a 10-minute conversation or a five-minute conversation because you have to go into, well, where did you get this ideology from? That's not true. And then once that's been hammered into someone since they were little or from their parents or their grandparents, it's hard to change that. So I think just the hardest thing is changing the culture around voting and changing how people view it. And another thing I found really difficult is even if people were interested in voting, it's trying to get people to vote in local elections because it's been a it's a big culture in America in general um, to vote just in like the presidential elections or elections are very controversial. But I think culture really needs to change of that. I mean, the federal elections are very important, I do want to say, but state and local elections are like very, very important to the direct citizen as the legislation they will be passing will directly be affecting college students and citizens all around America more directly than federal will. So I think that's another issue I found was getting students to vote in local elections because it wasn't as put into the news or popular. So just saying, hey, go get out to vote for your local candidates and they're just like, well, I don't even know who that is. It's easy to say, oh, Trump versus Biden because everyone knows who that who those are. They're on CNN and Fox every day talked about. But when you're saying, oh, go vote for your local mayor, they're like, who? Like, So they don't feel like it's important because the news isn't making it important. Like you don't see coverage on it as much. So that's another issue I found. Whoa, things just got spicy. And that's all for this week's episode. I hope we've encouraged you to think deeper and to look at other perspectives. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to follow us at TJG Spicy. And if you would like to be a special guest on an upcoming episode, please feel free to email us at tjgspicy at gmail.com. And that's a wrap. Stay curious and see you in two weeks.